GeoTrek podcast number 33, Women in Earth and Ocean Science, featured the work of three female scientists who explored how we can better manage the natural environment of coastal areas from Texas to Spain. The episode promoted a science speaker series called Women in Coastal Science, launched for the Upper Texas Coast and organized by the Galveston Park Board of Trustees. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Hal, host of the GeoTrek podcast. Welcome to podcast episode number 76, where we link back up with the Women in Coastal Science speaker series. The speaker series, which may just win a national award, was featuring an engineer named Tiffany Statton for the month of July 2023. Tiffany works with the PEA group as an engineer and serves as a program manager for cutting-edge civil and, en- and environmental engineering projects that impact the coastal landscape. Her interview is highly relevant to GeoTrack because she provides a valuable perspective about how Houston, Texas deals with stormwater management, water detention, drainage, and upgrading infrastructure in a large metro area very vulnerable to extreme floods. Several times during Tiffany's interview, you will hear her refer to Hurricane Harvey, the greatest magnitude rainfall event in U.S. history, which struck southeast Texas six years ago in August. If you're new to the GeoTrek podcast, we explore the world covering stories about extreme weather and natural disasters not covered by the mainstream media. Along the way, we help you better understand the physical processes that produce such extremes, the impact of these extreme events on society, and what we can do to get out ahead of these disasters to mitigate their impacts. This interview was recorded live on Galveston Island on Friday, July 28th for the speaker series in an open-air pavilion at East Beach. Special thanks to the Park Board and as well to Nicole Charlebois, Park's Special Events Manager with Galveston Park Board of Trustees for recording the interview and making it available to GeoTrek. We'd also like to thank Cheryl Rozier, Project Manager for the Park Board, who leads a fantastic interview in this episode. Before we cut to the conversation between Cheryl and Tiffany, let's start by touching base with Elizabeth Schneider, Environmental Coordinator in Coastal Zone Management for the Park Board of Trustees, for a perspective on the speaker series. Elizabeth is a huge region, region for the success of the series as she's very involved with its planning and promotion. Elizabeth, I know you've been a big part of uh, promoting and organizing Women in Coastal Science seminar series. What do you love about the series? Oh, yes, Hal. There are so many things to love about it. But most of all, um, we started this series because there there seems to be, you know, people, scientists spend a lot of time and money researching topics throughout their whole lifetime. And not, you know, more often than not, this research is never, never heard of before, never, you know, makes it to the public or to the point where they can understand it and it's um, legible for them. So this opportunity gives women scientists who have been working in these fields for so long to share their stories, share their journeys, inspire people in their community. Community. And also, you know, allows them the resource to find help in the community as well. Our group that attends the Women in Coastal Science, they are always looking for how I, you know, how can I help and where can I volunteer? You mentioned inspiring. We had a 13-year-old girl in our audience today, right? Oh, I know how fun. And they are all the way from Fort Worth. They they spent a week here in Galveston State. It was their last day and they spent it here at Women in Coastal Science. So we're honored that she came. Well, thanks for all you do organizing and promoting the series. I, I It's one of my favorites to come out to and y'all do such a good job. Oh, thank you, Hal. And, you know, we may, we may have organized it, but it's one of my favorite series as well, and I always look forward to it every month. Thanks, Thanks Elizabeth. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one, Hal. Thank you, Elizabeth, for sharing those perspectives with us. Now let's transition over to July's speaker for the Women in Coastal Science speaker series. Tiffany Statton is an engineer with the PEA Group, 
We'll pick up her conversation that she's having with Cheryl Rozier. Really fascinating insights from both of them during this conversation outside on July 28th at East Beach in Galveston Island. If you had to give a younger woman or a young girl advice um, on entering into engineering or planning or even development, what, what would you say? It's cliche, but honestly, just do it. Um, there are some innate qualities that women possess that are much needed in the built environment. Um, and it's more along the lines of sustainability. Um, we need to learn how to or, or get better at, at providing uh, the built environment that it has a symbiotic relationship with the planet because this is the only place we have to live right now. Um, so as a young girl, don't be intimidated by the fact that it's a male-dominated industry. It really is. Um, there are some challenges I have experienced being both a double minority. Um, so just do it. If, if you're interested in it, if you want to contribute, if you want to be a part of developing your neighborhood, your community, do it. It's, 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 you're needed. We are needed as, as women in the industry. We're very much needed. So just do it. Yeah, I can um, concur and speak to that with being a male-dominated dominated field. And leaving college, I worked for an engineering firm and it for 25 years, and it was, um, there, it was just always guys. It was always guys around me, but, you know. It's gotten better, I will say. I agree. We have about, there are a good number of, of women in the offices. I've two, two jobs I've had um, that I've worked with and I've had the pleasure of working with. So it's getting better, but there's still a lot of room for improvement, for sure. Sure. And you, you alluded to a, any kind of challenge or a hard challenge. Would you like to elaborate? So um, most of the times I'm seen as the administrative party in meetings. And so I've had projects that I've been the PM on that I'm working on and that I've designed and, you know, I have all of the intimate knowledge and nuance of the project and I might take my boss on, you know, a, a trip with me or a meeting with me and everything is directed to him. You know, the first questions they ask about the project or problems, they direct it towards him. And he's, I usually keep my, my bosses in tune and what's going on on the project. But then oftentimes, and he's great for this, he's like, well, I'm not the person you need to speak to because she's the one who's doing the project. And that happens consistently. And it's not that it's not intentional. It's just, you know, again, it's a male dominated industry. And so there's a little bit of inherent bias because they, they feel it's just mostly men who've been in the industry. So the challenge is having to get the nerve to speak up and say, hey, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing. Wait a minute, I actually have experience with this you know um, I'm not here just to take meeting notes so um, that's been the biggest challenge for the most part has it hindered me I won't say it has it's just little step roadblocks little hurdles that you have to get over but those you have hurdles in any in any industry that you're in whether you have a career or whether you're just working at you know in a service industry there's always going to be hurdles but that that's been one of the challenges well, and I think you hit on something really important, and that is is having um, the person by your side, especially your boss, being a cheerleader for you as well and support and actually knowing that it's safe and um, you do know what you're doing and, and they can say, here you go. Yep. So if there's someone out there that's interested in engineering, what, what are good traits for them to have? Maybe things for them to hone in on as 
uh, younger younger in school, or what what resources should they look towards for foraging that career path? So for high school students, I would say to get involved with your local colleges. They have um, they usually have events for like the national organizations, whether it's ASCE, which is the American Society of Civil Engineers, or um, there are plenty of them. You can research them and look them up. But definitely get involved with those organizations because they often have youth outreach events um, for high school students, even junior high school students, to come and just experience what it, what life is like in STEM. Um, in college, again, you have your advisors who can lead you to those organizations, but the big, biggest thing is to get involved. You actually have to take the effort and the step to get involved. And some of the traits and characteristics that you have, they, you know, the old, I guess, stereotype of engineers is the nerd with the glasses and the pocket pencils, and it's not like that. Everybody's, you know, they're normal. Quote unquote. Um, so just, just, but you do need to be able to stand up for yourself and, and, and speak up for yourself. And it's okay to make mistakes. You know, you are going to get things wrong. You are going to mess up on a project. That's why there are processes in place to have, um, quality assessment and quality check of work. Several people are going to review your plan. So be open to asking questions. You have to ask even the dumbest of questions. I still ask the dumbest of questions till today. I don't have a problem with saying, hey, what is this? And my boss will look at me sometimes and say, Tiff, you know this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're right. You know. And then there are sometimes I just don't have enough experience. So, so you have to ask the questions um, because you're dealing with people's lives. Um, you know, doctors, they deal with people's lives, but it's one person. As an engineer, you can harm many, many people at one time. So you definitely have to be inquisitive, and you also want to make sure you have the, a strong personality to stand up for yourself and then just say, hey, I can do this, you know. I like how you touched on the fact that um, your impact is far-reaching because of the built environment does touch so many people at once. I mean, look at this building. Look at how many people are sitting here together today. So it's really, really important that the roof stays on. Absolutely. <laughs> Especially Absolutely. while we're here. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, Definitely. It, it's, those, it's those kind of things. Absolutely. Um, so we are here today for uh, women in coastal science. So, and you're an environmental engineer. So in terms of protecting the coastal environment, um, why is that personally important to you or... Would you like to talk about that? So because I am on the private side and, and developers are kind of like, yeah, just throw some concrete down, let's go. They don't understand how, you know, you put more concrete down that affects the storm system. And anybody who was here for Harvey can understand how important stormwater protection is. So for me, on the side that I'm on, we have to push our clients sometimes to say, hey, take that extra step to protect stormwater quality. Um, because if you want to go and have that salmon or, you know, that fish fillet, if you're just dumping all kind of, say, we're doing a, an automobile uh, or a car dealership or, or a um, repair shop, you can't just let it all flow into the street and think it's going to be okay. It's not okay. So, and, and everything's come, everything we do comes down here to Galveston and affects everybody here. So it's important to me to make sure I, I, kind of bring that element to my clients to say, hey, what you do is important and what you do affects, even if it's just a small, small portion, you have millions of people in this, in this city, in this country, every little, everybody's small little bit adds up. 
And so I, I try to make sure as much as I can to use sustainable measures. Right now, it's a lot more expensive to do it. So it's a deterrent um, because money is a factor in everything. Um, but also, speaking of money, I mean, the city, you know, we have to pay for public infrastructure improvements and it's expensive. I did a job that was like not even three quarters of a mile and it was $13 million. And we have thousands and thousands of miles of storm sewer to upgrade because we're just developing so fast, but we love our conveniences. We want to be able to have an HEB here, have an HEB there, you know, want to have all of our, all of our conveniences. So as a developer, it's a, it takes you to do what you can to implement sustainable measures, be it using bioswales to kind of help allow the soil to infiltrate and, and take out all of the, the, the crud that that is a part of your development. So um, it's just a matter of, of doing your personal part. I think that that stands for a lot of different things. You need to do your personal part and understand that every single thing you do has an effect, for sure. I like the fact that you referred to um, bring somebody's dinner into the conversation and because that makes it real for them. Hey everyone, Dr. Hal here. I just wanted to cut in here during this part of the event and the conversation to provide a thought on what Tiffany has already shared. I was really saddened to hear that despite her hard work and professional achievements, many professionals still assume she's not the qualified person to speak about a project because she's a woman. While positive changes have shaped the professional landscape in recent decades, women like Tiffany remind us that we still have a long way to go. I just wanted to share a small perspective on something we all can do to help shift positive changes in the professional environment. When you hear someone talk about a professional, from a story about a doctor to an airline pilot, do not make the assumption about the gender of the person in the story. If someone tells you that their doctor just gave them lab results, respond with, what did he or she tell you, instead of, what did he tell you? Don't assume that your airline pilot is male and the stewardess is female, or that the program manager for an engineering project is male. We can all make a difference in perspective of the professional landscape for this generation and the next based on how we talk. And our words reveal our perspective. Celebrate that more and more women are getting established in the sciences and other advanced professions. And let's all make sure that our language paints a picture of equal opportunity, especially for the youth that might be listening. Now let's get back to the interview where Tiffany shared some interesting insights on development changes in Houston following Hurricane Harvey. In terms of the engineering world, um, and you've been involved uh, pre and post, uh, you alluded to Hurricane Harvey, which was in 2017. Um, I'd like for you to, to touch on how uh, shift in development and shift in engineering practices have uh, changed I realize you're, we're talking about a career, a Houston world career, uh, which was uh, devastatingly impacted by the storm. And um, the, the, the shift in engineering and development world, and then also maybe how that has a trickle down uh, tri effect to Galveston. So there's definitely more of an impetus to put the responsibility of detention on the developer because again and i mentioned this before that we just cannot keep up with development well we can't keep up with upgrading the storm sewer with the amount of development that's happening and so the shift was mostly about requiring more responsibility from the owners to provide more detention it's been very hard for us 
because it's almost, they have to provide detention for almost one-to-one. -one. So basically, um, in short, in, the detention is determined in the Houston area by the amount of impervious area or concrete, whether it's concrete, gravel, compacted dirt, whatever. Anything that does not allow the water to infiltrate into the soil um, is considered impervious. And it's at this point, it's almost one-to-one. -one. And like I said, most developers just want to slap some concrete. So for a four-acre site, if you want to have 3.7 acres impervious, you're going to have to provide 3.7 acres of detention almost, pretty much. And so it's been a challenge um, with developers because it's also very expensive. I've worked, I'm working on a project right now where I had to put in about 140,000 cubic feet of storage and it's costing about a million plus. And the developer's like, wait a minute, that's like more than my budget for the whole site. And I'm like, uh, you know, I'm sorry, it's, it's kind of what we have to do. So Harvey has definitely Push, pushed the responsibility of detention on the developers until we can get to the point where we're able to to upgrade our facilities. You know, the, as you guys can know, the bayous were heavily damaged. Um, so Harris County Flood Control is having to repair their facilities, but they can't do it fast enough. And we know how politics are. There's a lot of red tapes, and so it moves slowly. Uh, projects can take three or four years. And but we're people are developing every day, every second, almost. You guys, I'm sure have seen all of the, all of the construction and new buildings popping up everywhere you turn around. So that is the biggest change from Harvey, pushing the responsibility on the developer. So it kind of puts us in a tight spot because we have to now value engineer, but there's only so much value engineering you can do, especially when you have to put that much detention on a property, piece of property. So. And I think for an example for that, when when we talk about detention, we're talking about if you've got a building this size and this, you know, you take this square and you plop it over there and that just has to be a natural process over there. It can't be another building. So you see a lot more um, environmentally friendly. Uh, you see campuses that look like they have more green space for their for their staff to enjoy, but they're really just meeting their detention requirements. Absolutely. And there's some new technology like pervious pavement. They're using that to where it helps to, to allow for water in the parking areas or impervious areas to be detained faster. Um, but again, expense, you know, is one of the driving, money is always one of the driving forces behind a lot of things. But um, like she mentioned, the green space, and I mentioned earlier, bioswales, that's one of the options that, that we have to use. As, and there are a lot of companies that are that have come up and, and they come to our offices and let us know the type of products that they have to help. Um, but it's, again, you have to go through, a, you have to go through a process also with those, the, the city has to approve it. They have to look at it and say, okay, yes, it's gonna work in the broader scope of, of what we have to handle in the city. Um, so it, it's, it's, it's rough, it's hard, it's expensive, and it might deter some people, um, but it's necessary because at the end of the day, this is the planet we live on, like I mentioned before. So we have to do something. No. So we've been talking a, a bit about uh, water retention, drainage, and those things, and as we all know, everything that happens up in Houston at some point, if it hits any water body, uh, it's going to flow down. So how, how do you feel like that, um, the work that you do or the things that we've been talking about kind of impacts uh, Galveston from the Houston area? Um, 
the work that I do in trying to make sure that stormwater uh, quality that we that is released into the public system is important because it assists you guys in the work that you have to do when it comes to cleanup or when it comes to you know saving wildlife and things like that. So our work is important because that's the first stop. We're the ones putting the pavement down. We're the ones doing the changes to the natural built environment. So we need to make sure we take every measure to stop it at our property line, especially with the fact that we're still trying to, upgrade, you know, reconstruct and improve in infrastructure everywhere because the bayous flow right here to, to Galveston. And so until those can get handled, our work is to say, hey, let's make sure we process this and release clean water, you know. And, and, and dispose of the, the pollutants properly. And that's a perfect kind of uh, dovetail into, you know, as an environmental engineer, what kind of environmental issues and things like that that do you believe are gonna require the most attention in the next decade or so? Oh, that's a I good mean, one. it could be innovation. I mean, it, it, it's a broad, it's a broad it, topic. I was going to say there's probably a lot that needs to happen. There is a lot that needs to happen from air quality to um, just, you know, a lot of the times the, the storm system systems, they don't work because people don't import it. They don't take the signs that don't litter. They don't think it's important. Well, if you're just throwing all your trash all over the place, then guess what? First of all, the storm systems aren't gonna work because you've blocked the entry for the water lines to go in. Secondly, whatever you've just disposed of, you know, um, eventually makes its way into the water and makes its way into the bigger, bigger water bodies in our area. So I would definitely say that our habits of I wouldn't say it's necessarily an environmental issue. It's probably more of an us issue. We need to be more cognizant about what we're doing and how we're interacting um, with our with our environment and with our um, community. But definitely, um, the biggest challenge for the Houston area is going to be improving our waterways and improving our bayous and and things like that. Um, probably more than than the air quality side. Um, but that's also important because we're seeing a change in storm events. You know, what used to be something that only had a 0.2% chance happening in the year is happening more frequently, you know? So that's definitely important. Yeah, and you, you'll see that in rules and regulations when they start talking about you've got a design for... The 500, it's called a 500-year event, something that only has a chance of happening 0.2% of the time of in the year we're now having to to design for that because it's just happening more frequently than expected. Yeah, and I think too with that you're also designing for that more frequently because sustainability is such a, a it, I I don't want to say that it's a buzzword, but you know, we're really really embracing it now and the things that we do, we're actually putting a longer lifespan on projects. You know, back in the day, you'd build something for 30 years, and now people, the goal or the expectation is 75. So when you talk about a 500-year storm event, well, if you're designing something for 75 years, you've got it, it more, more and more oomph has to go into it. Absolutely. And... Again, it all boil, I, I keep bringing up money because it boils down to that, but we do have to, we don't have an option. I think it's becoming 
more prominent as far as sustainability goes because we just don't have an option. And Harvey was one thing to prove that because everybody was just stuck. There was nothing that could be done. You just were looking in shock and amazement like, oh my gosh. And we just had to wait for nature to take its course, you know? Um, so we're being forced to have to do it, especially if we want to continue to have our conveniences and live our lives that we want to live our lives. We have to do it. We just, it's, it's necessary. So we've talked uh, quite a bit about stormwater and uh, stormwater drainage. Would, would you say that you've experienced any misconceptions about um, what people hear about stormwater drainage and um, maybe some of the issues faced? Haven't, I haven't, but I don't think people actually, I don't think they understand the magnitude of it, if you will. It's not that they're, they don't have any, any idea about it. I think they do especially if they're in this area. Um, I do have one client, he's from New Jersey, um, and he purchased a piece of property in the floodplain. And so he was surprised at how much he would have to do to actually develop in that floodplain. And I'm like, well, it's important because it's right next to a bayou. And what happens during a rain event, if you just kind of do whatever you want, you might not have your development anymore. So you do have to take that into account. So for the most part, though, people who are from this area, and that's mostly what I work with, they understand it. They understand um, that it's necessary. Now, again, the requirements have increased drastically, so that's a bit of a shock. They're like, wait a minute, what? Um, but after you explain it to them, they, they understand. They, they, I haven't had too many challenges with that. But, but one client from from the East Coast was a little shocked about it. And I was like, well, welcome to Houston. So. <laughs> well, they have a little bit more topography than we do too. So yeah. we're, we're a little flat. Yeah. <laughs> it makes Slope is difficult for, very, for us. Very difficult. Um, so in, in talking about difficult situations, um, you know, we always uh, hope for creative solutions. We always hope for innovation in the field and items like that. So. Do you have any creative solutions that you've worked with or any projects, uh, a special favorite? I know that you mentioned something in your original uh, conversations with Elizabeth and Nicole. Um, do you have any project specifics that you'd like to tell us about or a specific project? So that was the um, Conrad Sauer Detention Basin. It was a big, ugly hole in the ground that was lined with concrete. Um, and we work with a landscape architect to make it a multi-use facility. So it's kind of turned into a park. There's um, elevated walkways and we kind of uh, beautified it a bit. So it serves a dual purpose for the people of the community. They're able to use it as a park, recreation area, um, but during storm, storm and severe rain events, it also serves as a detention pond in order to ensure that their homes stay safe during flooding. So that was actually a fun project because we were able to use a little bit more green. So my life is a lot of gray, <laughs> concrete buildings, you know. Um, so it was fun to do that. And then actually to go and experience it, we did a, we did a, um, what do they call it, a scavenger hunt of sorts with a few uh, employees at my old firm. So that was kind of fun. It was fun to see that and see how pretty it was and, and kind of say, hey, I had a hand in designing that. So that was fun. Nice. I think that um, in terms of innovation and you talk about being a project manager and being, you know, a team member and being able to work with other disciplines and learn things, like you said, working with a landscape architect, um, plants are critical um, in terms of um, drainage and sustainability and Cleaning up water yes. and things like Most that. Most importantly, cleaning up the water. What else what have, have you learned, learned from those kind of experiences? 
um, th that there are Mother Nature actually knows what's best. And so a lot of what we do, um, we use, not a lot of what we do, but what we've started doing is using what has always worked in the past, right? Um, it's been around for millions of years. Uh, and we just thought we could do it better. So what I've learned is that actually Mother Nature is your best teacher. Simple things, you know, even the mechanics of the way the human body works, kind of we use in, in some of the things that we design. So advancement in new may not always be the best sometimes. So it's, it's good to kind of use what's worked. Yeah, there's a, a big push for engineering with nature. And it's an actual concept. It's practiced by many, many engineering firms around the, the world. Um, the Army Corps embraces it very heavily. Yes. Because she knows what she's doing. She's been doing it for quite a while. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Tiffany, I have to say, it was a, a lot of fun listening to you and Cheryl talk uh, project management. Cheryl often doesn't, uh, being our only project manager at the park board, she doesn't get that experience a lot. Feel free to call. If you just want to chat. I'm just watching back here. She looks like she's having so much fun. <laughs> Um, but my question for you is, you talked a lot about, you know, finances and these projects cost so much money. If you had an unlimited budget and you got to pick your location in Houston, what project would you choose to design to kind of um, aid the infrastructure of the Houston area? Plants. I'd put plants, bioswells, all kind of things everywhere. There would be no concrete. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> we need concrete. Um, no, I would definitely try to implement more um, of uh, the sustainable infrastructure that we have available. Um, we can't really use retention. I do some projects in Arizona and they utilize retention, uh, which is different from detention in the fact that it just holds water and allows the water time to seep into the ground and recharge the groundwater. I wish there was a way we could figure that out with the, with the, the poor soils that we have here. Well, they're not poor soils, but they don't allow for infiltra infiltration much. Um, but I would definitely, if I had unlimited resources, every place would have more green space than not. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you, it'd be grass, grass everywhere. everywhere. Grass everywhere. Yeah. And in, in, in your time in Houston, have you seen a hot spot area that is particularly bad? I know we talked about the floodplain a bit, but uh, that's pretty large in Houston. Yeah, there's they're all they all have their challenges everywhere that I've worked. Um even the Huntsville area, that one that that one was challenging as well. So there hasn't been just one area that was particularly bad. They're all kind of challenging in their own way. They've all had their nuances that are like, ooh, you know. Um, it's just a, a, a consequence of, of the location on the map and how, how close you are to the coast, to the water, you know. Um, so I don't think there is, is a particularly, of course, low-lying areas are definitely more challenging. Um, but the whole city is kind of low lying flat. So <laughs> we understand that in Galveston. The lower lower lying areas have been more challenging, but yes. they're all we have some of those hot spots as well, half yes. an inch of rain and you'll get a foot yeah. of standing water. Absolutely. Um, do we have any questions from the crowd? Wonderful. Hal, I'm gonna 
Tiffany, great perspectives this morning. Really appreciated your, your thoughts on everything. Thank you. you mentioned the big focus on water detention, where we get these large impervious uh, parking lots and things like that, that that enhance runoff. And you mentioned such a focus on detention. Obviously, Metro Houston and the Houston Galveston corridor has a lot of sprawl, a lot of these massive parking lots. Could you see development patterns in the future, maybe focusing on developing more densely, maybe building up instead of building out? I mean, what are your thoughts on that? And that has been a topic. Um, of conversation. Absolutely. Yes, we are going to have to start going more vertical and also uh, reuse. That's another big topic that's coming up. Uh, the abandoned buildings or abandoned offices, recreating them to be more multi-purpose, whether it's uh, residence and recreation, kind of all in one. So that is definitely a topic right now because, you know, we, we're Texas, we like our space, but there's only so much space we need to take up, you know, so definitely that is. I've noticed that in parts of downtown Galveston, some of those old warehouses are now becoming lofts and people People are two, three stories in the air. Absolutely. They're not going to flood. They're 30, 40 feet in the air. Absolutely. So it's kind of reminding me of, you know, one of the things I loved about Houston compared to Chicago was I like the space, right? Um, but I'm noticing that that we're, we're kind of doing like they are and building up because you just, you need to, you know, um, it's just, it's a better option, honestly. Um, because you know you want to allow for for minimal effects from from storm. You don't want to stop development, right? You don't want to. You want people to be able to do what they want to do. Uh, but it's a way to be considerate. It's a compromise. So, Thank you, Tiffany. Sure. Have you noticed a place, either a city, a state, a country, that has really done a good job of embracing? Uh, green infrastructure and is just knocking it out of the park that we can look to as an example. So recently I visited Phoenix. Um, and funny enough, even though it's desert and it's mostly brown, they actually do a very good job. The, the cities that I, while I was there, it was clean. The transportation, public transportation was awesome. Um, and it was just very serene and nice to be there. It felt clean, it didn't feel, you know, you can go some places sometimes and you can kind of see the film of fog, smog over the, the city. Um, so, so far in my experience, Phoenix has done a good job. California is another one. They have done a very good job of that as well. Um, again, it's expensive, but, um, they're taking the charge in like, hey, we just we just have to do what we have to do, you know. Um, so those two, mostly West Coast, are doing a pretty good job from what I can tell. Um, any of our students in the room, I'm hoping you could stand up real quick. Doesn't matter your age. And just tell us real quick either what you're interested in science-wise um, or if you're in school, what you're um, studying. Hello, my name's Chelsea Hill. I am just now transferring to UHCL to study environmental biology. Actually, I'm a hawk. Oh. But, um, yeah, I hope to work in natural resource management, but the more I dip my toe into all the different environmental sides, everything's so interesting to me. Um, but, yeah, I live here in Galveston right now, so. And then one more right over here. Aw. My name's Charlotte Holloway. I really like, or I'm interested in like zoology and like preserving the environment Aww. and trying to like make sure it doesn't get all like ruined and polluted and stuff. And how old are you? I am 13. Aw. Thank you guys awesome. for coming out today. 
Awesome. Um, it's wonderful to highlight our, uh, our younger people in the room. Absolutely. If you have the chance to talk with them, give them any advice, we greatly appreciate it. Absolutely. But again, one more round of applause and thank you all thank for you coming. Thank you guys. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Wow, what a great conversation between Cheryl and Tiffany. Just so cool that we could have this as part of the GeoTrek podcast. I love the questions that came up and the interaction nature of dialogues near the end of the event. I always say I love dialogues a lot more than monologues. And I love that it was an interview style. You know, those those types of interviews really capture my attention. You could actually hear me on the mic. I asked the second question in the audience about future development uh, pattern changes. Um, focused on possibly building up instead of building out. I was encouraged to hear that future projects may work to make development patterns more dense, reducing sprawl and impervious surfaces that are so common on today's landscape. I actually had a few more questions for Tiffany, so I approached her with my recorder after her conversation with Cheryl. And let's cut to that clip of a personal conversation I had with Tiffany after her interview with Cheryl. You were talking a lot about some of the um, restraints on some of these projects with like detention, things like that. Uh, sometimes it seems like they're up against maybe a, a cost a barrier, right? Because of the required uh, like building requirements. Exactly, exactly. So it's a fine balance between wanting to do something and being actually able to do something. And so when you want to say, yes, I want to be sustainable. Yes, I want to add these measures in. If it's just too expensive, you just, you're kind of caught in a bind. So so my work is, is definitely about trying to balance that, the that, that those conflicts they definitely are there um, and try to get a little bit and a little bit of compromise you feel sometimes people are just shocked with like the detention cost and requirements definitely they definitely definitely are they're aware of the de- detention requirements but when you actually put it pen to paper and you do the cal- calculations it's like wait a minute when did that happen and, and and so we have to go through the explanation process listen this is a cost a consequence of what happened no matter how many years ago it was it's it's still a consequence i mean it's been six years but it, it, it happened and we have to deal with it, you know. Did Metro Houston actually see some policy change after Harvey in regards to detention? Yes. So they did change the detention requirements. So for simplicity, um, your the amount of impervious area, there's a certain rate that you have to put uh, per acre uh, on, of detention. And that rate increased. That's how that's what happened. So based on the amount of impervious area that you've disturbed and that you've now placed down on your property is going to determine how much detention you have to have. And the rate significantly increased, especially for the properties that are over like 80 percent impervious. That was now it's one to one. If you just if you have one acre of impervious, you need one acre of detention, basically. Not necessarily close to one to one, but it is pretty much one to one. It's not exactly one to one, but between 0.85 and one, that's that's kind of relatively close. Did those ratios change after Harvey, or did the ratio stay the same and just the the rate and changed? The rate actually changed. The rate of detention per acre or per acre foot of inter- impervious area. It, the rate change. The rate we need more detention now than we used to. Exactly. You need more detention now than you used to on a site that may have had maybe 50,000. You So the so the gra- it's, it's a graph. It's a graph that we use. The line is pretty straight up until you hit 80%. And then as soon as you hit 80%, it exponentially increases. Have you seen people say like pull out of development projects because of that? 
they haven't pulled out. We just have to be a little bit more aggressive in our, our value engineering. Um, it's and, and some of sometimes they just have to bite the bullet. It is what it is, you know. Um, so we've just had to get a little bit more creative with with how we do detention and what we use to detain the water. Um, and then they also just spend a little bit more. And, and on the next project, their budgets are a little bit higher for detention so that they're aware of, you know, they, they're 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 ready to deal with the cost at that point. So, no, people are not going to stop developing <laughs> because in the long run, it makes money. Business makes money, you know. Um, it's just so. changing their perspective and yes. maybe approach. Yes, changing the perspective and, and what the expectation. Changing the expectation is essentially what it is. Thanks, Tiffany, for sharing your expertise. Yes, you're welcome. Thank you. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again, Tiffany, for sharing your perspective with us on the GeoTrack podcast. A few take-home notes from this episode. Number one, I thought it was really interesting that Houston has increased the amount of required water detention on development projects following Hurricane Harvey. Other large cities should take note of this. Heavy rainfall events are happening more frequently across the country. And while your community may not experience 50 inches of rain like Houston saw during Hurricane Harvey, you may benefit from increasing water detention and drainage projects. Just really interesting sometimes to look at what some of these leading cities are doing to mitigate flood losses. Number two, I really love Tiffany's focus on nature-based solutions. She's mentioned several times that Mother Nature knows best, and I like this focus of adding vegetation and green space to development projects. Such approaches not only make our urban areas more beautiful and livable, but also can reduce the risk of extreme weather impacts from mitigating heat waves to reducing flood risk. Number three, finally, consider launching a women in quote unquote science episode in your city. Although you might not live near the coast, you could adapt a speaker series to whatever is most important in your area of the world. We saw at this event how a series like this not only promotes emerging scientists, but also brings together the community and encourages the next generation. As Elizabeth Schneider said, one of our participants was a 13-year-old girl who was on vacation with her family. What a great intentional choice that that family made to bring their girl to a speaker series while they're on vacation. Thanks to our listeners for your faithful support of the GeoTruck podcast. You're the reason we're ranked as the number one podcast in the field of natural disasters, according to Feedspot. So keep listening, keep sharing the content. We really appreciate your support, involvement, and showing us much love all the time. Hey, a big shout out as well to our marketing team over in Mobile, Alabama, who puts together the production and dissemination of these podcast episodes. Jeremiah Long, my friend and colleague over there in Mobile, is editing these episodes, mixing in the music, making it sound so professional. So thank you for your dedication as well, Jeremiah. This is Dr. Hal signing off. Hey, everyone, stay active, get outdoors. It's still summer. We still have great weather in most of the country. Make sure you're hydrated. Watch those high sun angles still, especially in the Southern states and uh, take care wherever you are. We'll catch you on the next episode of the GeoTrek podcast.